Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Um, if you are new to Celebration Church, we have been in a sermon series that we have simply called uh, The Classics, okay? And what this sermon series has been, it's been us revisiting the Old Testament, but looking at it through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of God's love. And uh, before we jump into our Old Testament story uh, today, I think there are a few things that we kind of need to set in motion, so to speak, beforehand. So with that being said, I'd like us to turn our attention over to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. It reads like this. It says, the one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much that you're here Lord, I thank you that you didn't need an invitation. Lord, you did not need a reminder. No, Lord, this was your idea way before it was our idea. And Lord, I pray that this morning you would have your way. Lord, speak to the specificity of our lives. Speak to those nitty-gritty pockets of our soul that we have tried to keep you out of for far too long. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see Jesus this morning because we know that when we see Jesus, it's impossible to stay who we are. And all God's people said, amen, Amen. I'll drink to that. Um, have you ever um, have you ever tried to subtly get someone's attention? Like you wanted, like you didn't want to call a lot of attention to the fact that you were trying to get their attention, but nonetheless, you were trying to get their uh, attention. Um, I, I, anytime I think about this, I'm instantly reminded of of being in the first grade, okay? And I, when I was in the first grade, I went to a private Christian school, okay? So if you think I'm weird, just blame it on that, okay? I went to a private Christian school. All my life, all right? So I was at a private Christian school, and I remember one day, um, the staff and faculty, they sent out an announcement that there was going to be a school-wide play that was going to take place a few months later, okay? And so the, the, the auditions, they were mandatory, so I ended up moseying on, moseying on over to the audition. And you have to understand this. The play was called Giddy Up, Get Along, Gideon, okay? It was the story of Gideon from the book of Judges, but set in the Wild West, all right? So when we live in West Texas and go to a Christian school, it doesn't get much worse than this, okay? And so I'm moseying on over to auditions. I show up. I give it everything I've got, right, in the audition. I give it all of the energy, all of the emotion I can muster up in that moment, right? And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, the ballot comes out, and to my shock and surprise, I ended up landing the lead role in this play. Okay, your boy was Gideon in Giddy Up, Gideon, okay? That's my one claim to fame. I peaked in the first grade, okay? And so, and so I'm, I, I, you can imagine the next couple weeks, just, just I'm, I'm devoting every ounce of energy, right, I can muster up to getting ready for this performance, right? I am memorizing my lines. I had to tell some jokes. At one point, I ended up singing a solo, so I've got to memorize all of my lyrics. Like, I'm doing everything I can to get ready. Well, finally, the night of the live performance comes. I remember that I'm standing up there on the stage. There's hundreds of people there. And I remember at one particular moment in this play, and we were about three-fourths of the way through, I was in a scene with me 
and one of my good friends, okay? And while my friend in this scene is giving me his lines, all right, I turned my attention towards the crowd, all right? And what my eyes landed on literally left me breathless, all right? The most beautiful girl my first grade eyes had ever laid eyes on. Come on, guys. I felt like squints from the sandlot. You know what I'm talking about? When he finally sees Wendy Peppercorn, you know what I mean? All of a sudden, I see this girl. Tunnel vision begins to set in. And then out of nowhere, the drifters come in with this magic moment. While your lips are close to mine. And I'm like, yo, girl, I wish your lips were close to mine. Because my Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come on. Can I get a witness? I'm like, hey, don't be mad at first grade Kenan just because he knew a few better Bible verses than you. All right? If you read that thing, your life would be better. All right? And so I see this girl, and I'm like, man, I need to get this girl's attention. I got to get this chick to notice me, right? And so you have to understand this. Back in the first grade, uh, me and my homies, me and my cronies, me and my crew, all right, we, we had what we would call a, a, a signature move, all right? And the, a signature move was something you would pull out when you wanted a girl to notice you, okay, who you noticed, but they hadn't, you weren't quite on their radar yet, okay? So some of my friends are pretty talented, right? Some of them, they could do kickflips on a skateboard, you know, maybe they could make it all the way across the balance beam without falling off. You know, one of them had a pretty impressive rock collection, all right? Anything to get a girl to notice you, right? And so, but you have to understand this, um, I'm a Clark, and we are not known for two things, okay? We are not known for being smooth or coordinated whatsoever. Blame him, all right? And so I didn't really have a whole lot going for me in the move department, all right? But what I did have was the fact that I had stayed up late a few times while my mom and dad were fast asleep, and I watched a few MTV music videos, okay? And what I took away from these music videos was that anytime the quote-unquote cool guy would bob his head when the beat would drop, women just seemed to instinctively flock like the salmon of Capistrano, right? It was innate. They couldn't help themselves. They just come running. So I'm like, man, that, that can work for me, all right? I've got a neck. I can move it. Let's do it, all right? And so I'm in the scene with my friend. I see this girl. Wow, the Lord is good. And I'm like, all this is going through my mind in a matter of seconds. And right before I go to do the move, all of a sudden, the voice of my acting teacher came back to me. And she had told me, she said, Keenan, anytime you are up on a stage giving a live performance, you must make all of your gestures bigger than you would in real life as to convey the emotion of the moment to the entire audience, right? And so I'm like, I need to apply this to my move, right? I do not want her to miss this because this is obviously something God is trying to do. Okay, so I'm sitting there. I'm in the scene with my friend, see this girl, and I'm like, it's time for the move. And this is literally what I did. No music, no nothing, okay? I don't look like Vanilla Ice at all, okay? I look way more like Woody the Woodpecker, just like pecking a hole at my best friend, just in a desperate attempt to try to get this girl to notice me, all right? Now, if 24-year-old Keenan could, like, jump in a DeLorean and go back in time, I would throw my arm around young first-grade Keenan, and I would say, um, um, Keenan, you are the lead in this play. You are Gideon, and giddy up Gideon, your name is the first name on the bulletin that young lady received when she walked through those double doors, okay? She had heard me tell my jokes. She had heard me give my lines. She had heard me sing my song. You see, the truth is, is that she saw me way before I ever noticed her. 
And you know, as awkward and as maybe even funny as that story is, I find that for so often, for so many of us, that is exactly what our relationships with God look like. So often we stand up on the stage of our life and we think, man, if I could just... If I could just muster up the right move, if maybe, yeah, if I, if I shoot my hands up real high at the bridge of this powerful song, or maybe if tomorrow I wake up an hour earlier and pray 30 minutes longer, or maybe, yeah, this will do it, if I throw a few more zeros at the end of my tithe check, then, ha-ha, then God will, then God will notice me. Then God will take some interest in me. And if you feel that way this morning, can I just politely remind you of what we read a moment ago in 1 John chapter 4? 1 John chapter 4, we read it, if verse 10, it said this. It says, this is love. He loved us long before we ever loved him. I came here to tell you, when you weren't interested in God, when you didn't love God, when you wanted nothing to do with God, God wanted everything to do with you. Come on, this is the scandalous truth of the gospel. He was calling your name before you ever even knew, before you ever even knew his. God, he... He loved you before you, you loved him. And you see, the reason that God does this, you see, the reason that God loves people who don't love him, who do not reciprocate his love, is because you have to understand that, that, that love is not just something God has. Like, love is not a commodity that God just kind of possesses. Okay, and love is not just a pastime that God has a hobby in. It's not something he just does. No, as John told us, God, God, he, he, he is love. He is what love looks like. He is the personification of love. So this morning, if you are looking for love, but you are running from God, it's no wonder you haven't found what you are looking for because the only place you can find what you're looking for is in the one you are running from. Why? Because God, he, he is. He is love. Have you ever asked yourself the question, um, why does God get to be God? Have you ever asked yourself that? Maybe it's because I'm a pastor's kid and I've got nothing better to think about, okay? But I've thought about this before. Like, why does God get to be God? Like, who, who voted him in? Like, who elected him? Who chose him? Who walked up to him and was like, man, you're doing such a good job. We're going to promote you to God status real quick, all right? Like, who, why does God get to be God? And the truth is this. God gets to be God because he is who he is. That's a simple fact. God is God because he is who he is. And John told us that God is love. So wait a minute. Let's break this down. If God gets to be God because of who he is, and John tells us that God is love, that must mean that if there was ever a moment in time in which God were to stop loving you, he would cease to be God. If there was ever a moment a second, a millisecond that God was to have anything but obsessive, scandalous, ridiculous love for you. That would be the very moment he would stop being God. And guess what would happen? The entire universe would unravel at its core. Why? Because everything that is, is held together by who he is. And who he is, is love. God will not stop loving you. Why? Because he can't stop being himself. God will never compromise his character because you continually compromise yours. God cannot change who he is just because you temporarily forgot who you were. He cannot help himself. It's who, it's who he is. And the reason that we have to start off here, the reason that we have to set these wheels in motion before we jump in is because a lot of the time when we go from Malachi 
to Matthew, when we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all of a sudden, in between there, we think that, like, God changed. Like, all of a sudden, we think, like, somewhere in between there, God got a therapist. Like, all of a sudden, God got some counseling. Like, all of a sudden, God went to church and got saved. Like, we think that all of a sudden, this New Testament God, this loving God is something new. But no, Hebrews 13, 8 says this. It says, God is the same yesterday and today and forever. So if he is one way, he's always been that way and will always be that way. Which tells me that the love of God has always been what God wants us to see and to know. The love of God has always been what God wants us to see and to know. And throughout this entire series, throughout this entire series we've called the classics, we have been revisiting. We have been going back into the Old Testament and looking for the signs, looking for the indicators looking for the glimpses of God's character, of God's love popping up before Jesus. And this morning, I want us to look at a particular story that if we're going to be honest, a lot of us aren't even familiar with. I went for years not even realizing this was in my Bible. And the particular moment of God's love we're going to look at in the Old Testament happens 750 years before Jesus is born. 750 years before Jesus came to the planet, the love of God showed up on full display through a young man by the name of Hosea. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Hosea, Hosea in his day and age, he was a, he was a prophet, okay? He was a speaker. He was the mouthpiece of God to the entire nation of Israel. What does that mean? It means he's a big deal. It means he's famous. It means he's God's guy. He is an inspiration to in, the entire nation of Israel. And then one day, God comes to Hosea and he says, um, Hosea, uh, I have an assignment for you. If you would dare to accept it, uh, well, I want you to, um, I want you to marry a prostitute. Hosea had to have said something like, uh, uh, come again? Rather never come again. Get behind me, Satan. I knew that the devil is a liar in Jesus. No, he doesn't do that. No. Hosea is so close to the heart of God that the second an audacious claim comes from his mouth, he he tends, he just trusts it. God says, I want you to marry a prostitute. So Hosea, he finds a prostitute to marry. What's her name? Gomer. You know what you have to be thinking? Bummer of a name, right? You know? It's like not even her parents loved her. Like, dear Lord, this love is not something she's ever really experienced. So Hosea, he marries this woman named Gomer and Well, for a while, things seem to be going relatively well. They have a baby boy. They have a baby girl. Another baby boy. I'm not really sure how long. We're not privy to the timeline, but things seem to be clicking on all cylinders. Things seem to be actually working out. Until finally, one day, Hosea, he, he wakes up, and naturally, he turns over to see if Gomer's awake. And to his shock and surprise, Gomer, she's not in bed. He gets a little concerned, as any husband would, and he's like, well, calm down. Maybe she's just cooking some breakfast. Maybe she's just cooking me a little little breakfast. All right, what a good wife. He jumps out of bed. He runs into the kitchen, and she's she's not there. This is strange. Okay, maybe maybe one of the kids had a bad dream. They had a bad night. Okay, let's go and check the kids' rooms. He begins to check all of the kids' rooms. No, no, no sign of Gomer. Until they're finally, there are only a few places left to check. He checks the bathrooms, the closets, maybe even the backyard. Until finally, it sinks in. She's gone. Gomer's left him. 
He's now a single dad with three kids. And on top of that, in charge of speaking on behalf of God to an entire nation. You can only imagine the thoughts that are running through his head in this moment. Like, oh my God, I'm supposed to be a... I'm supposed to be a beacon of hope to my people. And I can't even, man, I can't even keep my wife. I can't even keep my wife at home. We're not really sure what happens after that. You know, I, I would imagine, as any guy would, a Hosea has a few dark moments, a few dark nights. And until one day, God comes to Hosea in Hosea chapter 3. And God says, um, Hosea, uh, I have a plan. Are you ready? Here's the plan. Hosea's like, I'm all ears. God says, okay, here's the plan. Um, Go find her. Go find her? Yep, go find her. And when you do, I want you to marry her again. Again? Yes, marry her again. So Hosea begins to search high. He begins to search low. He's perusing the entire city, checking all of her favorite restaurants, checking her favorite shops until finally he gets to a point where there is nowhere left to look but the place he found her in the first place. He's got to go back over to that part of town, if you know what I mean. He crosses over to the other side of the tracks. He walks over to the local red light district and Hosea, he's walking around and you can imagine, you have to understand this, he is a man of God. He is an important person. He is a holy man. He is righteous. And he's got to go looking for his wife, his other half, where men of God should never be seen. Can you imagine how awkward this must feel? Can you imagine how out of place this must make him feel? This is completely and totally foreign. This is so different. He continues to peruse the back alleys. He's looking high. He's looking low. He's got to ask people who are no doubt in that lifestyle, in that industry, if they've seen his wife. He says, um, ma'am, um, have, have you seen Gomer lately? Wait, like, Gomer, your, your girl? Like, I, I thought y'all were together. No, I, I hadn't seen her. Well, ma'am, I'm, I'm looking for her. She's, she's not, I hadn't seen her in a while. And if you, if you find her, please, please tell her I'm looking for her. Of course, sir, yes, of course. Continues to walk and... You know, it's not too far-fetched to even imagine that he probably had to ask some guys. What were those conversations like? Hosea walks up and he's like, hey man, um, I don't know how to ask you this, but uh, seen my wife lately? Seen, seen Gomer? Oh, bro. Um, I, I, you see, I didn't realize. He's, well, you see, what had happened was like, I, I, she didn't tell me. I, I didn't know. Um, yeah, dude, I saw her like, a couple nights ago, a couple streets down. Well, man, I, I need to know if, like, you've seen her, like, today. Like, have you seen her recently? I'm, I'm looking for a nah, man. Like I said, it was just the one time, like, I, again, I didn't know. My bad, bro. It's, it's okay. Continues to walk and look until finally, Hosea rounds a corner, and he walks up, and he sees a sea of people all pressed in around a platform. And who is standing on the platform but Gomer? Hosea walks up on what most scholars would tell us is an auction. It's a sex slave auction, and Hosea's wife, Gomer, is being sold to the highest bidder. You can imagine, this is a rough crowd, okay? And the people who would attend such an event want to know where their money's going, okay? So she is up on this platform, completely exposed, completely bare, completely naked. You can imagine the utter humiliation. This is the lowest of lows, a husband can find 
himself in. And so shockingly, all of a sudden, Jose, you can imagine, begins to, begins to press through the crowd. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And so finally, he finds himself at the, in front of the platform where Gomer and the auctioneer stand. And he's got to get the attention of the auctioneer. He says, sir, um, uh, sir, I don't know if you realize this, but she is actually, she's actually my wife. Auctioneer probably says, you know, I don't know who you think she is, but she's mine and she is for sale. Here's the price. Does he have to outbid a few other bidders? Probably. Until finally we see in Hosea chapter 3 that Hosea pays 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley. Now different numbers in scripture are, are significant for different reasons. 15 speaks of the divine energy of God towards humanity. And five is of course the number of grace. The God represented in the silver, man represented in the barley. Jesus is both God and man. The gospel is literally unfolding before our eyes, if we'll dare to take a look. All of a sudden, Hosea reaches in his pocket, begins to take out the, the payment. And I'll be honest with you. Had I been rolling with Hosea, it had been right about now that I'd have said something. I'd have been cool. I'd have been supportive. He's trying to follow God. But now is when I'd pipe I'd pipe up. I'd be like, hold on a second. Time out. You are not giving him a dang thing. Okay, Hosea, not sure if you've forgotten, but that's your wife. Like, why are you paying for uh, Newsflash, she's already yours. But you have to understand this. What Hosea didn't know, but God did know, was that 750 years later, God would send his son to our planet to purchase back what is in fact already his. We're already his. Proverbs 24 verse 1 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I'm here to tell you, if you are sucking oxygen on this planet, God holds the patent on your life. God is your creator. And he couldn't stand to be separated from his creation. So he comes to our broken planet to purchase us back out of our place of shame, out of our place of guilt, out of the place we've gotten ourselves into. Hosea pays for her, and all of a sudden, the, the auctioneer begins to untie Gomer from her ropes. They throw a blanket around her, and they begin to escort her down the platform where Hosea eagerly awaits the arrival of his, of his wife. Now, we can only imagine what has to be going through Gomer's mind in this moment. She never dreamed Hosea would show up here. She never dreamed, let alone he'd pay the price of the auction. And now she knows, okay, he's been nice. Nice is over. Here comes bad guy. Here comes the rebuke. Here's where he's going to really let me have it. He's about to let me know how much trouble, how much pain I've caused him. She begins to emotionally brace herself. And then all of a sudden we see in Hosea chapter 3, verse 3, the very first words that Hosea utters to Gomer. We find it here. It says this. It says, And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. So will I also be to you. When we would expect rebuke, when we would expect shame and condemnation and her past to be thrown in her face, what does Hosea do? He, be he begins to renew 
his vows to her. That's what he's doing. He's renewing his vows. He's saying, from this day forward, I'm not going to talk about once what, what, what once was. I'm not going to talk about what used to be. No, from this day forward, I am your man. I am your one-stop shop. I'm all that you need. Why? Because it's paid for. It's over. Or as Jesus would put it later, it is finished. There's no chance of going back. No, I'm, I'm, I want to know. I want to know if you'll trust me into this legendary life that I want to lead you in. Can you trust me that I can work with the broken, fragmented pieces of your identity and your sexuality? Can you understand that I, if you'll let me in, I'll put you back together. You've been trying for so long. You've cut yourself on the shards. Can you trust that I'm really who I say I am? Can you trust that I'm, that I'm enough? You know what? What would be an absolute tragedy would be for you to be here this morning standing in your shame, standing in your guilt, standing in your, in your defeat, standing in your failure. And for Jesus, who is in fact the true Hosea, you understand that Jesus is the lover of our soul. Jesus is our Hosea. And for Jesus to show up here, purchase your freedom. And open his arms to you and say, come on, let's get out of here. And for you to go, no, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve the freedom. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve this grace. I don't deserve a bright tomorrow. I don't deserve a future and a hope. I don't deserve that. I deserve this. I deserve this platform of shame. I deserve this platform of guilt. I've built it brick by brick by brick, moment by moment by moment, mistake by mistake by mistake, sin after sin after sin. This is what I deserve. But the crazy part is, you're right. You don't deserve what Jesus has done. You do deserve to stay here. But the crazy thing about the love of God is it doesn't seem to care. The love of God doesn't seem to give a second thought at what we deserve. No, I think the question the love of God is asking us isn't what you deserve. What do you deserve? It knows that. The question the love of God is asking you this morning is what does Jesus deserve? And the truth is Jesus deserves what he purchased. He deserves what he paid for. And he's paid for you. He wants you, not a future version of you, not a cleaned up version of you, not a better version of you, not a more Christian version of you. No, he wants the you you are right now. Why? Because if you'll give him the you you are right now, you won't stay the you you are right now. No, he'll take you from glory to glory, strength to strength, grace to grace. All of a sudden, the grace of God, whoo, it opens you up. To a life you never even dreamed was possible. Why? Because it's Jesus. All the glory goes to him. All the honor. All the praise. All of my life. It's defined by this one man. And his name's Jesus. And he came for me. And he's here for you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.